Welcome to the Faculty New Books podcast, covering the latest authors and publications from across the subject spectrum. Okay, so the book was conceived with my co-author, Kate Bowen, um, who is a musicologist, when looking at the broad study of political culture um, during the 19th century. Lots of um, historians have tended to focus on newspapers and printed speeches and pamphlets and books and so forth. Um, More recently, historians have um, examined uh, poetry, um, uh, other forms of uh, other forms of cultural action, banners, um, clothing and so forth. But we felt that music had tended to be um, uh, regarded as a sort of filigree as something that was just done as an add-on. So we decided to look into that uh, question um, and we uh, decided that we'd have a broad scope both across the 19th century, um, but also across the Anglophone world. Um, Partly we wanted to test um, the idea of the movement of song or the capacity of movement of song to provide a form of communication both across space and time. Um, And so we ended up having quite a broad scope and uh, quite an ambitious subject. Um, And uh, uh, the result is a um, 110,000 word book. We decided as we were doing our research, it became clear that music was only really relevant when it happened. And what we meant by that was that was when it was printed, sung, um, passed on, um, performed in any form of context. Um, and so the sounds of liberty were both the lyrics and the melody, and they were inextricably linked. Um, my colleague, Kate Bowen, is a musicologist, and she was very adept at um, contextualizing and also historicizing the melody, which had accretions of memory ac- across time. I was more interested in or more concerned with uh, the lyrics and the way that the lyrics evolved over time and the, um, the context in which they were used. And so you'll find in the book a, a huge range of different contexts in which we found um, sounds of liberty. Um, uh, in action, that music is music, actually music making. Um, And that's from singing in pubs um, to singing on the barricades at strikes, to marches, to singing in uh, radical church halls and so forth. Multitude of different um, forms of action that use song and tune, lyrics and melody as a sound of liberty. The selection of the songs was incredibly difficult because you can imagine there were hundreds and hundreds of potential songs to use. And so after a lot of research, we decided to focus on three different sorts of songs that typified three different um, three different forms of production and use. Um, So the Marseillaise was obviously an iconic radical song written during the French Revolution, but um, adopted widely into the Anglophone world. 
at a time when it was actually banned in France. Um, and given many, many different sets of lyrics um, that reflected both international and national causes. We selected um, Song of the Low, which was written by a radical activist himself, Ernest Jones, who was one of the prominent later chartists. Um, and that song also was widely used in different contexts and um, also gained other um, uh, forms of use across the Anglophone world. And thirdly, we chose Robert Burns's uh, John Anderson, My Joe. Now that was um, written in, uh, in uh, 1789. It was essentially a bawdy song. It was a folk song. Um, the melody was much older than Burns's lyrics. Um, but we used it because we wanted to show the way in which popular culture, traditional popular culture, could be incorporated into political action. So it, what was a bawdy song was given political currency because of the name John. And so radical activists who were named John were often incorporated into new lyrics with the melody to John Anderson, my joke. So those three very different sorts of songs we wanted to use as uh, typical of a vast collection. Um, and of course, all through the book, we refer to many other examples that um, hundreds of examples that uh, are attached to those three typical uh, examples which we offer. I mean, what we've tried not to do is say that music was the most important form of cultural um, uh, um, expression um, in radical politics. That would be unrealistic and um, just simply wrong. But what we've tried to do is add music to the sort of repertoire of political action, not as something that's just um, peripheral to what, what was happening, but something that had a, a, you know, a significant role in the way that politics was practiced. And one of the first things that we, we found was looking at the first international uh, uh, communist conference in London in the 1860s, when if you read the newspapers, it's terribly dry. There's all these speeches and, um, and, and so forth. But if you, if you dig into it, you find that during breaks, they cleared the tables and sang and danced. And so we had this wonderful idea of sort of Marx and the mazurka, you know, the, so all these dry, um, the, what appears to be to, uh, the historical record of something that was dry was actually fun, was actually involved a form of communication that is important for us to note. So not only was there banners and flags and eating, there was also singing and dancing that went along with the speeches and the, um, the, the great um, uh, books that came from that in the radical tradition. Uh, so not saying music was the most important, but in a sense, rescuing music from the fringes of understanding the way that politics was, was practiced.